0: Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio.
1: Our topic is grief relief, and my guest is Marilyn Hevelin. Hello, Marilyn, and welcome to the show. Well, hello, Gloria. How are you today? Yeah, great, and it's wonderful to have you on the show. Marilyn, let me tell you a little bit about Marilyn before we get started. She's a woman with a love for the Word and God, which has gifted her with the ability to express what she's learned from the Bible in practical terms. Marilyn's the author of the popular book, Roses in December, and is an inspiration to all with her positive attitude and zest for life. Marilyn has lost three children. In 1964, Marilyn's son, Jimmy, died of crib death when he was seven weeks old. Twin sons, Nathan and Ethan, were born a year later on Christmas Day, ten days after Ethan's, e- Ethan died of pneumonia. In 1983, Ethan's twin brother, Nathan, was killed by a drunk driver. Nathan was 17. Marilyn, did you tell me this is an anniversary for Nathan? Uh, tomorrow will be the anniversary, actually. February 10th will be 23 years since Nathan left us. Ah, uh, Could you tell us a little bit about him and about that and about the other kids? Certainly. Um, Jimmy was our third child, and uh, we had hoped to have a boy, a girl, and a boy. And that's what we had. And so we thought we controlled that. Right. <laughs> and my mother said, well, maybe God just let you uh, want what you were going to get. <laughs> that could be. But uh, Jimmy was seven weeks old. He was the largest of our babies and um, had acted a little bit uh, lethargic the night before. And so I had the good sense of calling the doctor. And he came and checked him and could find nothing. The next morning, as Glenn went into the room, he discovered that Jimmy had died in the night, probably of what we would now call crib death. Uh, That was a long time ago, 41 years. And so um, we didn't have all the names that we have today. Right. But then I thought that um, the best thing to do was to have another baby. I really lived under the concept that your pain would go away if you had another child. Uh-huh. Um, I was wrong on that. Uh, the pain is always there, of course, for the loss of Jimmy. But then when we had twins, and I think that people expected that now we would be back to normal. Uh-huh, and uh I'm sure you'd known and how long that. was that in between? it was um eighteen months, oh my goodness, such a short time Yes, it was a short time, and so I had had three babies, and then Ethan died when he was ten days old, so I had three babies and two funerals in um eighteen months and uh I was twenty eight at oh, the time my goodness. and uh but people. Uh, had the response because I had twins. Well, you still got a baby left, right. as though you know having the baby was going to take the pain away. And of course, we had no idea what was uh, lying ahead of us. But um now that they even deal with Jimmy's death, then or are they not they just really moved right on. Uh, th- yeah, they wanted us to move right on. And um, you needed to get back to normal. Don't you hate that statement? Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't think there's any bereaved parent who wouldn't be delighted to get back to normal. Absolutely. <laughs> because normal means you have all your children. Exactly. And, uh, so um, they, But that's what they told me was just uh, get on with it, have another baby, and you'll forget all about this was the statement that they made after Jimmy's death. Well, then I noticed that the crowd thinned after Ethan died because, you know, people didn't know what to say. Even right. today they don't know what to say. But uh, 40 years ago they most definitely didn't. And they could also concentrate on Nathan, what a cute baby. Yes, yes, and you have another baby, so everything right. should be fine. And Nathan uh, was a delightful child and grew to the age of 17, was on his way home from basketball game at a Christian high school when a drunk driver crossed the yellow line on a two-lane city road Going sixty-five miles an hour, and he hit Nathan's uh, car head-on, and within an instant, Nathan was gone. Wow! Yes. And so we had to face it all over again. And uh, obviously, I, I know that parents will understand that um, since he died on the tenth, I can tell you what I was doing forty years ago mm-hmm. <laughs> on those days because it's like they're frozen in time. They do not change. And even though it's been twenty-three years. We still miss him terribly yes, yes. and uh, every time our two remaining children, Matthew and Malin, had children uh, of course it was a delight to have the grandchildren, but it was also a reminder of who wasn't there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And they Did never you worry got, about your grandchildren at all, for, you know, as babies? Oh, yeah. I'm a nervous Nellie. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably just as well that I don't live close to any of them. I have um, three uh, teenagers now driving as uh, grandchildren, yeah. and I told my son I thought that they should just lock us all up and let the kids go on their own. And, you know, when they got past this stage, maybe we'd make it if we just left them alone. Right. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I would think with the tiny babies you would have been nervous too. Well, I was. Um, I I tried very hard not to say anything to the kids, but the minute I noticed that their hands might be a little blue or I checked on them and couldn't tell if they were breathing, (laughs) Uh um, I became very nervous. And I think the only thing that saved us is the fact that I I did not have the good fortune of being able to live close to any of my grandchildren when they were little. And so it's probably just as well that I didn't um, because the kids still like me. <laughs> and, uh, that probably came from the fact that I wasn't around too much <laughs> and uh, because I know that at home I worried a great deal. Uh-huh. And when uh, when any of the teenagers are late or I know they're driving in bad weather, I have a very difficult time, and so I have begun to realize that it's a blessing for those children that Grammy isn't real close. (laughs) (laughs) Now, one of the things, and reading your book, and I want to get into that, Roses in December, it's a wonderful book and, and a very healing book, but one of the things that I noticed in there I was so fascinated with is the ambivalence. Uh, I know you're a Christian woman and and very close to God and have found a lot of comfort in that. But you've also been angry. You better believe it. Really angry. (laughs) Well, you know, I think probably I allowed that in my own mind because I was close to God and I knew that He knew me whether um, people around me knew me or not and they got very nervous when I had any anger and yet in the scripture it says be angry and sin not and I think that uh what that saying is it's alright to be ticked off just watch what you do <laughs> <laughs> i love your anger because it you, you know i want to tell those people about there if if you have a belief in god and if that's one of your touchstones that you have god can take it Absolutely. And he knows us better than anyone else, and that's my personal thinking on this situation. But I discovered that while my friends got nervous, God didn't. And <laughs> Could he... you talk a little bit about how angry you were after the accident at the families that were Christian families? <laughs> I thought that was so good also. Well, and I know you didn't, I'm sure you didn't say a whole lot to them, but no. you were frustrated because they wouldn't settle. Absolutely. Um, The three families whose children were in the car, the children all survived. None of them were in the hospital more than about a week and a half, I think. Um, But right away we began to realize that they were much more interested in how much insurance did the Hevelins have. Mm -hmm. And then when they found out we had a great deal, Um, because my father was an insurance agent in Michigan and had advised us. He couldn't write a policy for us, but he had advised us very well, so we were well protected. But then the families began to realize that maybe they could get a portion of that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, it became very difficult because I wanted to say to them, um, you've still got your kids, (laughs) you know, and I don't. And it became a long drawn out event because they, uh, would not provide information that they needed to for the insurance. And it, uh, for me, uh, uh, someone who wants things to be just and fair, there was no justice and no fairness in that situation. Right. And, and let me say for our audience, Nathan was driving and yes. you said at the time that you hoped, you prayed to God that it wasn't his fault and indeed it wasn't. Absolutely. And, you know, and he was hit head-on by a driver. He was he hit on, on uh, head-on. And um, uh, I guess that's a strange prayer, but I think it's a mother's prayer. Um, you know, I kept thinking, if somebody else dies in that car, I don't think Nathan can deal with it. And so i that was the prayer that I prayed, was just don't let it be his fault. And it wasn't. And that was a great relief to me. But I thought that would take away... Any adversarial situations we might be in and I was wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. So let our audience know if, if it was your family members, you know, I don't want to say fault. If, if there was the accident looks like, you know, that it was an error of judgment yes. on their part. Let's say error of judgment. It still doesn't make it great in knowing that it wasn't their error. It doesn't clear it up. It's still... I wanted him to be totally exonerated, and I wanted us to be totally exonerated. And that was very difficult. And you are right in the fact that I said very little to the families. Now... Um, If my husband were were here, he would say, but you said a lot to me. (laughs) (laughs) And I did. I was very upset because my personality is one that wants things to be correct and just and fair. And there was nothing in this um, that was just and fair as far as the insurance situation and then also the uh, manslaughter trial. The man was... um, uh, he had a plea bargain, uh, walked away with most of the charges being dropped. Got three years probation and two hundred hours community service, and that was the price of a Nathan Heflin. Wow. Well, And Well, did not to get to testify, yeah. or even <laughs> say anything, which which is very difficult. Yeah, I and I know that people that know me would find it hard to believe that I didn't say anything, but I really didn't, except to my husband. And <laughs> poor guy, I and, think he was wanting to just walk out. <laughs> I wanted to read a couple of emails. I get some just wonderful emails from the people who listen to the show. Okay. Um, This is uh, one from Howard, and he says, Hi, Gloria. Um, It's been about two weeks since your archives have been updated, um, Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, he accesses them through um, the uh, www.compassionatefriends.org website, so you can get our archives through there. And uh, the, Howard says that he looks forward to listening to the replays of your shows every night. I find them very comforting. I especially enjoyed your, con- enjoyed your conversation for When Sadness Becomes Depression. Keep up the great work. Your radio show is a lifesaver to a grieved parent like myself who's lost his way in life now that my daughter is dead. My email should be easy for everyone to remember. It is Roses in December, all one word, Roses in December with the number one, Roses in December 1 at AOL.com. I think as far as the two younger ones, as I look back, Gloria, I, I think that I was so busy raising the three remaining children that I didn't really allow myself to grieve. And while Glenn and I, at the time Jimmy died, had only been married seven years at that time, or actually when the twins died, when Ethan died, we'd been married seven years. And um, I think any problems we had, we blamed on being newlyweds. Mm -hmm. And it took me a long time, uh, really after Nathan died in 1983, before I realized that I had not actually grieved For Jimmy and Ethan, I had just put that on the back burner and I kept going. (laughs) And I think my husband did the same thing. And so I can't say that we specifically had a lot of problems. We did have some um, certainly difficult times, but it didn't dawn on us that it was because of grief. Mm -hmm. And now I have to look back and try to figure that out, and I'm not really sure. And there weren't really any support groups to help you with that? Oh, no. There was nothing, and as a Christian, it was never acceptable for you to get any counseling, and at, not at that time, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> not back in the '60s. And uh, so, I, I didn't even try to get any professional help, and wasn't sure that I needed it. Now I look back and think, "Oh my gosh, did I ever need it?" <laughs> but no one talked to me about it at that time, and even when Nathan was killed by a drunk driver in 1983. Even at that time, no one suggested that we needed counseling. We needed counseling terribly. We had been married 25 years when Nathan died, almost 25 years. In October of that year, it would have been 25. And um, Glenn and I really got to a point that we weren't talking mm-hmm. because Glenn's approach to the insurance situation and everything was just, it'll all work out. Well, my approach was, no way is it all going to work out. You need to go down and fix it. And somehow I didn't see that I should do that, but I thought Glenn should do it. And it was not in his nature at all. Yeah. I know one of the things you talk about in your book, Roses in December, and I think it's very appropriate, is about people have different personality types. And and that was his approach. And one of the things that you it seems to me, looking at your book, that you've you finally realized and we want our audience to know is that we do have different approaches in life. Oh, Everybody absolutely. is not thinking the same way we are. We grieve differently, and Glenn was grieving very quietly, and I was grieving very loudly. Not only do we le- grieve differently, <laughs> but we live our lives differently, oh, and yeah. it just comes together over the loss. Well, um, You notice. <laughs> yes, Glenn's personality is called phlegmatic, which means that he basically um, never changes. Changes his personality, but every once in a while, I would say to him, "You're flagging again," <laughs> <laughs> You're flagging. and uh, it's easier for him to ignore a problem and not face it. Now, for me, um, I just go right in like a bowl in the china closet, and I probably shouldn't, but that's my approach to solving well, things. That's the way you deal with it, though. Yes, I mean, that's that's, that's, that's kind of what your I do. Life, and then it all comes up when we. Well, one of the things that we've tried to talk about on this show a little bit, and I just want to mention it now, is how long have you been married? We have been married um, in October. It will be 48 years. Ah, <laughs> oh, You beat me. I've been married for 45. So what we want to say to you people out there is keep on trucking. Um, my husband and I also had problems when our son was killed about feeling like we were moving in separate spaces in separate worlds. And, yes. And just hang in. Absolutely. Um, what I figure is I have invested 47 and a half years now, and it would take an awful lot of effort to try to train somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we say to each other all the time. I suggest that maybe there are times Glenn would like to trade me in and he says, no, it's too much work. Right. Well, it it probably would be. (laughs) And I also say we've lost so much. Why would we want to lose our marriage, too? And Mm -hmm. plus, I didn't have the energy to get divorced, (laughs) too. Oh, no, I didn't either. Um, And I really um, just sort of tuned him out at the time. And then I began to study the personalities and began to realize, he was not exactly. acting this way just to make me miserable. Exactly. It, it, but it, it was just, the only way you know, he knew. They're coping the way they cope. Yes. So how, do, how did you deal with it, just in that knowledge? Did you get any help or therapy? Yeah. What would you suggest to people? We, well, I would certainly suggest therapy. My caution is make sure that whoever you talk with has gone through some kind of grief. Absolutely. It, and there are a lot of wonderful grief centers now around. Yeah. If you go on the Internet, you can look up your area and look up grief centers. Well, and, Gloria, there are books now. When yeah. Even when Nathan died, there were very few. When Absolutely. Jimmy died, there were none. And, uh, I remember one that I read after Nathan died. I, I was lying in bed reading it or sitting up in bed and when I finished it, I threw the book right across the room and I just said, that woman doesn't know what she's talking about. Right. And my husband said, well, write your own. Well, he's probably, sorry, said that six books later. I'm still doing it. (laughs) Uh, Oh, that's great. Was the first book you wrote, Roses in December? Yes, it was. And And, uh, I remember reading in the book that a friend of yours actually gave you a tape. I don't know how I would have dealt with that. A friend of, of yours gave you a tape of her responses and also had taken notes for you, and she said, here's your book. yeah. She did, and at the time I just sort of laughed. I thought, Yeah, sure, you know. People... You didn't want to strangle her. Huh? I don't No, no <laughs> uh, I I knew she meant well, but um, and I still love her dearly. <laughs> but... I'm sure you love her more when you had to know. <laughs> you were writing the book. Well, what was so surprising was Nancy's point of view and her notes. I honestly had forgotten things. Uh-huh. And I didn't think I would ever forget anything about Nathan's death, but I forgot much. Yes. And she was able to look at our our uh, daughter and our son and write some comments about them. And I have to admit that I was totally oblivious Absolutely. of them. Absolutely, yeah. You really do miss a lot. I, one of the things I loved in the book, and I want to talk about the book when we come back to okay. break. But I'll say one thing before we go to break. I loved the fact that that woman came over and cooked breakfast for you. <laughs> Yes. That was the best. What do you have? Uh, We had scrambled eggs and bacon. (laughs) I still remember. (laughs) One of the best things my friend did was came and sat while we ate and didn't say anything and did not eat with us. Well, one of the, um, I think, even more touching things that her family did, I just found out by accident, actually, was that uh, her two daughters were classmates of Nathan's. And she told me later that the two girls decided if there could be a moratorium on TV when President Kennedy died, there should be one when a Nathan Hevelin died. Uh. <laughs> and so they shut their TV off for two weeks oh. and did not turn it on in memory of Nathan. Now, I think the neatest thing about that is that I found out about it. <laughs> Because, um, you know, it it would have meant a lot to them, but it didn't mean near as much to me until I heard what they had done. And it told me that Nathan was very important to them. And another lady uh, from the church that we were involved with at that time did not know me, but she came to the door and she just said, I'm here for whatever I can do. Well, what she did that morning for us was press Nathan's clothes to get ready to take to the funeral home. I could not Uh have done that. Uh (laughs) And I still can see her standing there doing that. And I think what a beautiful gift that she gave. And it's a very simple thing. And that's what I try to get across to people is you don't have to do anything fancy, but your presence there means so much. It says that Nathan mattered and that we matter to them. And I was just so grateful for the people that just arrived. And I realized that um, we probably had a very unusual situation in the fact that we had been at one church for 15 years, had just moved to another church, and they were both large congregations, and then my son Matthew and I both taught At the school where Nathan attended, and so um, which was hard as well as wonderful. It it was hard, yes. um, uh, Strong reminders all the time, but it gave us such a strong community to be involved with. That knew him, yes. And um, I remember one of the girls who was in the accident, um, I, I stayed friends with the kids through all of this. And one of the girls I saw at a grocery store, and she said, how are you doing? And I said, I just wish that somebody would just mess up his room the way it used to be. <laughs> and about an hour later, she came to the door. And she just said, "I came to mess up a room," <laughs> and I thought, "What a sweet thing!" You know that she understood. I mean, how many people have seventeen-year-old boys that keep their room perfectly neat? <laughs> yes, <absolutely>. never happens. <laughs> absolutely, that's so sweet. Well, uh, I just want to say one of the very special things that our guest that. Uh, people that are listening to the show might consider doing, is one of my sponsors is thelibraryoflife.org. Mm-hmm. And it's a wonderful um, website that you can put on. It's on the Internet forever. For $50, you can create a website. And I created one for a friend of mine who died. I created it in literally 15 minutes and everyone was able to log on. We had 250 people who made comments on the website that later on went to the family. Oh, neat. So, so it's really a, a wonderful thing. It's not only a sponsor for me for the show, but it's something I really truly believe is a, a wonderful contribution. It so a, a tribute. Yeah, if you would like to go on there and do a tribute website, uh, and you can also do a celebration website, mm-hmm. um, it's libraryoflife.org. Well, Marilyn, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your book, Roses in December. And and was that your first? It was my first, and I never dreamed there would be a first. (laughs) But my husband sort of challenged me to write your own, and so I did. And Roses in December has now been in print 18 consecutive years, and it has sold over 200,000. And it has had three different publishers during that time. Um, some people may not realize that authors get sold from one publisher right. company to another. But roses has continued through that time, and now Harvest House, uh, the latest publisher, has decided that um, they would like to reintroduce roses in December. So in April of next year, there will uh, this year actually I don't know where I am, let alone what date it is, but April of this year, um, a, new, uh, a new cover will be on the book, and um, I okay. haven't really changed yeah. the book itself as far as, except to update it and make uh-huh. it a little more current, but they did ask me to write two chapters in the appendices, one on um, losing a loved one by suicide and another losing a, a loved one by AIDS. Uh-huh. And so I wrote both of those chapters and I know that there's not much writing on that. And um uh, so I felt it was very important that those two topics be covered. And they will be in this new book. That's great. Uh ha now tell our audience a little bit about the roses. Let me say something about the book. Roses in December, the way um uh, Marilyn has organized it. It's very lovely. She has Roses of Preparation, Sorrow, Comfort, Forgiveness. So all the different things that you, Friendship, Understanding, Innocence, Hope, Unique, Tenderness, and Farewells, and Roses of Victory. So you can actually kind of read, um, you can drop into the book and yes. read a chapter. If you're feeling like you need forgiveness today or or thinking about it, you can drop into that. Uh, If you want to think about friendship, whatever, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, And I would encourage people, too, quite often they get that book quite early, and um, it's a very truthful book, but also a very emotional book because I tell of the death of my three children. And so, if reading that story is too difficult for you, um, skip about two or three chapters, and then I get very practical and I just uh, share the things that have helped me. And now I'm not saying that you won't cry, but it will be different than the first three chapters. And so, um, go ahead and read them later. If yeah, and, and if you're, you know, if it's a holiday around Christmas or something, and go to yeah. page 57 and read about Christmas and and the fact that uh, Miran talks about um, that you may need to. Established some new traditions, and four years after Nathan's dead, she did, at death, she did uh, establish some new ones. But let me say one thing, uh, Marilyn, and, mm-hmm. and I think you'll agree with this. We're at different places in our life. That first year, for the yes. folks that are out there, Marilyn and I know how hard it is. It is very hard, and I think that um, that's why I tell people just give yourself time. In the first year, there should be no expectations. Um, the goal should be to live through it. Absolutely. And after that, then you can just do whatever you're comfortable with. But when you were talking about tributes and so on, one of the things I have learned to do, Gloria, is every year... Um, I keep track in the back of my prayer journal, the people who have passed away, not just children, but anyone who has died that year that was a friend. And uh, then at the end of the year, I make a special ornament with that person's picture in it and send it to the family. And I... I always get thank you notes for those. Uh, (laughs) And because it's such a nice tribute, and I received a thank you note just this week from someone who said, um, Phil will always be with me on the tree, even at Christmas time. uh, And I thought, you know, that's something that you can do and let them know how much you care yeah that is is a very sweet idea. Um, could you talk say a little bit about um, your faith and uh, has has the death of your children over the years? Has your faith changed? Well, I'm sure it has. Um, I think that um, I feel in many ways that I lost my innocence when my children died, and um, uh, unfortunately, people who tend to be um, involved in uh, Christianity or any other strong faith, Um, I have the feeling that as long as I'm good at this, nothing bad will happen. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, I wanted to buy into that concept, too. I've never been able to find that verse in the Bible. However, (laughs) I keep hunting for it. I think it should be there, and it just seems that there should be some kind of merit for living a good life. (laughs) But um, unfortunately, we live in this world. And so I realized not only could one child die, but unfortunately it could happen again. And I never, ever imagined that would happen to me. And so my faith perhaps is different. I, I see it that the blinders are off, mm-hmm. and I do not blame God for these things. He and I um, are on a good relationship, <laughs> and I intend it to stay that way, but there are still times that I just say, What were you thinking? <laughs> and I've discovered that, um, you know, God doesn't zap me. Now my Christian friends get nervous but he doesn't. And I think um basically there's a little quote that I have that I give in one of my seminars. Basically the idea of whatever your faith is, hang on to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, uh you know, yell at it, holler at it, do whatever you need to, but hang on to it. And you may have to go back to it, too. You may yes. want to look at the face of your childhood. Yes, and um, some people do, and I certainly had to reexamine my faith as to, um, you know, what was it based on? <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, one time when I was giving a seminar on my faith, a help, or a hassle, I tell people that my faith was a help, my Christian friends were a hassle, <laughs> and that is true. But someone asked me the question that you asked, is your faith the same as it was? And my son was standing in the back of the room, and Matthew has done some seminars for Compassionate Friends as well. And I said, well, what do you think, Matt? And he said, oh, Mom, we pray for you every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, Marilyn, we need to take a break, okay. our final break. And uh, we're coming up on our final break. And I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley. And please stay tuned to hear more about grief relief, how we help others, ourselves and others through grief with my guest, Marilyn Hevelin. Marilyn's the author of the popular book, Roses in December. She's lost three children, and she has a great attitude and zest and is very helpful. Please join us um, on our show um, by emailing me because our lines down at gchorsley at aol.com and uh, this is our final break and Marilyn when we come back from this break I'd like to know if there's anything that you feel like that we've missed on the show today I'm your host Dr. Gloria Horsley please stay tuned
0: The Compassionate Friends Self-Help Bereavement Support Organization has nearly 600 chapters in the United States offering friendship, understanding, and hope to families that have experienced the death of a child, no matter the age or cause. If your family has suffered this tragic loss, there is no reason for you to walk this difficult journey alone. Many who have had a child die have learned how helpful it is to be able to talk or just listen in a group setting with those who truly understand the pain of losing a child. To locate a chapter near you or to receive a free comprehensive bereavement packet, including a copy of the Compassionate Friends National Magazine, We Need Not Walk Alone, call toll-free 877-969-0010. You are also invited to visit the TCF National website at CompassionateFriends.org. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: This is Dr. Gloria Horsley. LibraryofLive.org is a proud sponsor of Healing the Grieving Heart. An everlasting memorial website created at libraryoflife.org is a permanent place to cherish and share your loved one's life through photographs, personal stories, poems, music, video, and heartfelt reflections. Libraryoflife.org helps thousands of families connect to a community of people who are dealing with a similar loss. I, too, have created a beautiful website for my son, Scott, and know that the process is simple and can be tremendously healing. Visit libraryoflife.org today to find out more.
0: Women, Do you feel that you're too old to be active, too old to be beautiful, too old to have fun, or too old to be fabulous? Well, if that's what you think, then there's good news for you. You're wrong. Tune in to Voice America every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Aging Outside the Box. Fabulous Women Over 50 with Shirley Mitchell. Aging Outside the Box is a fabulous, fun program that gives you every reason to feel greater than you ever have. Host Shirley Mitchell and OE Cruiser Small will cover phenomenal topics such as women's issues health, diet, exercise, nutrition, faith, travel, and many other concerns for women of all ages. Feel young, feel smart, and feel fabulous by tuning in to Aging Outside the Box. Fabulous Women Over 50 with Shirley Mitchell, every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, right here on voiceamerica.com. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. We now rejoin Dr. Gloria on Healing the Grieving Heart, a show of hope and renewal for those who suffer the loss of a child.
1: Welcome back to Healing the Grieving Heart. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, and my guest today is Marilyn Hevelin. Marilyn is the author of the popular book, Roses in December. Marilyn has lost three children and is an inspiration to us all with her positive attitude and zest for life. Marilyn, when uh, we um, went for break, I was asking you, is there anything that you feel like we've missed that you'd like to bring up? I just want to encourage people that um, while you'll always miss your child yet it does get different. I, I hate to use the word easier, but um, it the grief is different, and you learn to uh, walk with it. And A friend of mine said that grief is like having a pebble in your shoe that you can't take out. You just work it around till so you can walk with it in there. Uh, that's a nice way to put it. Um, um, uh, a friend of mine who's a psychiatrist also said, David Daniels, who was on our show, also made the point that grief and life go together. Yes. They go hand in hand. Yes, they do. And I do believe that um, we become different people, but hopefully better people because of what we've walked through, and at least more compassionate and understanding to others. And I am very grateful to compassionate friends and how they have helped me through the years. Um, I have been involved since 1984, and uh, it was a lifesaver to me. And it was just it was so refreshing to know that other people had the same responses I had. <laughs> Absolutely, that you're not crazy. You felt yeah. so crazy. Those. How many years would you say you felt crazy? I would think I felt crazy for three years. Oh, at least yes. I would. Uh, three years is about the right time. And uh, but when I went to Compassionate Friends, I remember just before that I had had a situation where I was on the freeway. And all of a sudden I realized I had no idea where I was going, (laughs) and my mind was just so confused. And I thought, oh, I'm never going to tell anybody this because they'll know that I really am crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then that following week, I went to Compassionate Friends and I listened to other parents talk about getting in situations and not remembering how they got there. Right. <laughs> and exactly. I thought, oh, good. If I'm going crazy, I'm not alone. At least <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I've got good company. Well, yeah. I, yeah. I think that's very important. And then I would like people to understand that. While there are times, certainly, that I can enjoy life and I can laugh, yet I was sharing with you at the break of how yesterday my husband and I had um, the privilege of attending the movie The End of the Spear, which talks about the death of the five men who were killed by the Alka Indians. Mm-hmm. And that, They were missionaries, right? Yes, they were missionaries. Uh-huh. And that movie has meant so much to me because I knew the story of Nate Saint, who was a pilot, And that is who our son Nathan was named for. Oh, my goodness. And um, even though I never had the privilege of knowing him personally, I became personal friends with his daughter and with his wife. And watching that movie where it ended up that these men were killed, I just sat there and sobbed. And, you know, I just thought, hey, it's okay. <laughs> and my friend sat next to me and I said, where's the Kleenex? And she said, I'd share mine, but it's a mess <laughs> because we were both just sobbing through this. And, you see, I'm allowing myself to share that pain that I probably wouldn't have given my permission, myself permission to do. Well, really. you may not have felt it was safe, but yeah. now you know what you can live through. I know it's perfectly okay and I'm not going to fall into a million pieces. And you'll be able to come back from it. Right. And I just tell people when we cry, what we have to do in an audience is just blow our noses together and go on. <laughs> and also you need to, early on, you need to give yourself permission to get up and leave. Absolutely. You oh. don't have to stay anywhere. Have you ever noticed I have. Uh, I have a theory that at churches in any public place that bereaved parents sit on the aisle, mm-hmm. and the reason we sit on the aisle is we never know when we're going to have to run, <laughs> and so it's safe. And when I when I've been speaking across the country, and I knew that there was a brave parent coming, I honestly just checked the aisles. Right. And pretty soon I could find her, and she was always sitting on the aisle because she'd say, I didn't know if I was going to cry when I heard you. <laughs> absolutely. And you can even stand up at the back or whatever you have to, have to do. Oh, and, sure. And I always say to people, uh, please uh, let your uh, children, school teachers, give them permission to ask your school teachers to give your children permission to leave the class if they need to. Oh, absolutely. One of the things that... I have found uh with my faith is quite often people think that if you're a strong Christian you shouldn't show a lot of emotion and my response to that is poppycock it it does that's not true but I found that the students at the school were not allowed to grieve and I was I was their counselor but I was so involved in my own situation I was not helping them very much and it happens now that one of the Girls, that was a close friend to Nathan is now my Ah, (laughs) daughter-in-law and a wonderful blessing but she shared with me how people would reprove any of the girls if they started to cry and I just felt so bad because you know it's so important and it's healthy to get that out Absolutely. And it's perfectly okay. Just carry lots of Kleenex. And I remember one time when I was speaking at Compassionate Friends National Conference, I asked if there were any questions. And one mama sat up in the front and she says, do you know where I can find waterproof mascara? <laughs> and I thought, oh, that is a national question. Absolutely. <laughs> and I said, well, what I did is I just didn't wear makeup for about three years. <laughs> and I just gave up on it. Oh, that's and, uh, great, ma'am. Well, it's time for us to close our show today. I want to thank you so much for being on. It's just been so fabulous.
0: You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.